Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. I want to talk about the road that leads from grief to acceptance. Now, I'll be honest with you, to just spit out five principles for moving from grief to acceptance sounds almost robotic, but I do want to share some things with you from God's Word that I've discovered after 40 years of pastoring may bring some help to those of you who are grieving. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Many psychologists describe grief as a multi-step process involving feelings like denial, anger, bargaining, and depression. But you know, sadly, a lot of folks never reach that final stage called acceptance. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress outlines a biblical path for recovering from the loss of a loved one. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. No one is exempt from grief. It doesn't matter how much money you have or the level of fame you attain. It's impossible to escape the inevitable seasons of sadness and sorrow. In a moment, I'm going to show you what the Bible says about overcoming unwanted moments of loss and loneliness. I'll also remind you that I've addressed this topic and many more in a new book I've written called Invincible. God never promises His children that life will be void of obstacles and barriers. In fact, from time to time, we come face to face with mountains that threaten to stop us in our tracks. Well, when we put our faith in God and rely on His power, He will enable us to move the mountains in our lives, mountains like grief, fear, and bitterness. Let me send you a copy of my very practical book called Invincible. It's yours when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. And as a bonus, I'm going to include a stack of 10 encouragement cards as well. Each one of these cards identifies a particular barrier or mountain you may be facing, and also a Bible verse that will help you remove that obstacle. Now, this time-limited offer will end this week, so be sure to respond right away. More about these resources and more later in the program. But right now, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 13. From the Invincible Teaching Series, I titled today's message, Moving from Grief to Acceptance. A young New York assemblyman, surrounded by well-wishers and flashing a toothy grin, stood on the floor of the house and reread the telegram that had just arrived. His wife had given birth to their first child the night before. He was overjoyed. But before leaving for home, he had a few more bills to guide through the legislature. A few hours later, a second telegram arrived. Still smiling, he began to read it. The sparkle in his eyes suddenly disappeared. His face turned grave. He must hurry home. His mother and wife were both dying in the same house. He ran to the station and jumped on the first train to New York City, arriving at Grand Central Station at 10.30 that evening. He ran through the fog-covered streets to his home on West 57th Street. His house was dark. A single gaslight flickered on the third floor. Rushing upstairs, he found his wife semi-comatose. 
Taking her in his arms and listening to her, her labored breathing, he pleaded with God to spare his wife's life. At two in the morning, a message came from downstairs. If he wanted to see his mother one last time, he needed to do so now. An hour later, his mother died from typhoid fever. Gazing into the lifeless face of his beloved mother, he said to his brother, this house is cursed. Heartbroken, he trudged back upstairs into his bedroom where his wife lay between life and death. She held on for 12 more hours, finally succumbing to Bright's disease at two in the afternoon. That evening, February the 14th, 1884, Valentine's Day, he opened his diary, scrawled a large X on the page, and wrote beneath it, the light has gone out of my life. On the day dedicated to the celebration of life, Theodore Roosevelt mourned the loved ones he lost. Though he would go on to heroics in the Spanish-American War, serve as governor of New York as vice president and then president of the United States, remarry and father five additional children, Theodore Roosevelt never fully recovered from the losses he suffered on that Valentine's Day. All of us who have lost someone important to us can identify with Roosevelt's words, the light has gone out of my life. Perhaps you can identify with those words as well. Maybe you've lost your mother through death, or maybe you're a mom and you've lost a child through death. The fact is, all of us are going to suffer some kind of loss and experience the accompanying grief. How do we keep grief from overshadowing every other aspect of our life? Well, today, as we continue our series, Invincible, I thought it would be a good day to talk about a common experience we all have, losing a loved one, and discover the road that leads from grief to acceptance. The fact is, every one of us is going to die unless we're a part of the rapture. Every one of us, rapture or no rapture, is going to experience the death and the sorrow that comes from losing a loved one's. You know, people have various reactions to the whole truth of death. Some people deny death. They just deny that they're going to die or anybody close to them are going to die. They think about it. If they don't talk about it, then it doesn't happen. It's interesting to me that 55% of Americans die without a will. Why? Many of them are superstitious. They think if they plan for their death, it's going to hasten their death. By the way, you don't get to choose whether or not you die, but one thing you do have a choice about is what happens to your money after you die. You can choose where it goes, or the government is happy to choose for you. That's why no Christian should ever die without a will. Every Christian ought to have a Christian attorney and have them plan where their assets are going to go. But some people think if we just don't talk about it, it will never happen. It was interesting that Theodore Roosevelt would face death on many occasions in his life, charging up San Juan Hill, staring down the barrel of an assassin's gun, uh, contracting malaria in the Amazon, 
And yet, in his autobiography, he never once referred to his wife's death. It was too painful for him to even acknowledge. Some people deny, deny death. Other people respond to death by laughing at death. They think if they joke about it enough, perhaps that will keep it at bay. I think about comedian Woody Allen. He is obsessed with death. He has said, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve it by not dying. I don't want to go on living in the hearts of my countrymen. I want to go on living in my apartment. Well, a lot of people feel that way. They don't want to die. They joke about death, but it doesn't keep death from happening. And finally, some people fear death. They think that's the way to deal with it, to let it uh, cover every other aspect of their life. Winston Churchill said, any man who says he is not afraid of death is a liar. Well, Churchill was not a Christian, and you can understand that sentiment. But the fact is, Christians and non-Christians do fear death, and we understand why. Some people are having questions about what happens to them after they die. Fortunately, as Christians, we know the answer to that. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, uh, to be absent from the body for a Christian is to be at home with the Lord. Other Christians, though, uh, fear another aspect of death. I think about my mom uh, today. She was 56 years of age when she was told she only had a few months to live. And she said, I don't fear my destination. I just don't like the process of getting to my destination. And a lot of people, they're fearful of the process of will their death be a peaceful one, a quick one, or will it be painful? But it doesn't matter how much we deny, laugh at, or fear death. It is inevitable for us and for our loved ones. How do we process death? You know, many people talk about the stages of death. Some writers say there are uh, five uh, stages of grief or seven stages of grief. The important thing is not the number. It's the fact that it's a process. Grieving is like going through a dark tunnel. Uh, the bad news is it's dark. The good news is once you've started through it, you're already on the way out of it. Let me mention four stages of grieving that the Bible mentions specifically. First of all, shock, shock. When we learn of the death of a loved one, whether that death was anticipated or not, it carries with it a sense of shock, altering our reality. A few people respond to the news of death by crying. Most people don't. There's a stoicism. The person is almost in shock. And many times we make the mistake of assuming that they are holding up well. Have you ever heard somebody describe a grieving person? Oh, they're holding up so well. They haven't shed a tear. That's not, nothing to brag about. Uh, what they're experiencing is not a great surge of faith. It's shock, a numbness that is part of God's plan to care for us in the initial days of our shock. Uh, we shouldn't encourage, though, people not to express emotion. It's not healthy. Proverbs 15 verse 13 says, a joyful heart makes a cheerful face, but when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. Grieving is both natural and it's also necessary. Remember Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes chapter three, there is an appointed time for everything. There is a time for every event under heaven, 
a time to give birth and a time to die. Verse four, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Eventually, that initial shock gives way to despondency. Another word for despondency is apathy. Some people talk about the laziness of grief. Perhaps you felt that way before, a laziness of grief. People ask you, what would you like to do? Your answer is whatever. I don't care. What difference does it make? That's a normal reaction to the loss of a loved one. Charles Dickens captured that feeling of despondency when he wrote, there have been occasions in my later life when I have felt for a time as if a thick curtain had fallen on all of my life's interest and romance to shut me out from anything save dull endurance anymore. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 13, verses one and two, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Have you ever felt that way? How long, God, does this last? That's despondency. There's a third stage, and that's regression. There comes a point when somebody who is grieving, although they seem like they're making progress through the tunnel, it sounds like they're going backwards. They regress. They start to become angry, perhaps angry at the deceased, the one who left them, wondering why their loved one would leave them as if they had any choice over it. Uh, Sometimes they become uh, angry at medical personnel, doctors or nurses they feel uh, engaged in malpractice. Maybe they become angry at an inattentive family member or a church that didn't respond the way they thought they should respond. Sometimes the anger is directed at God himself. In Job 3.20, remember Job had lost his children in a freak windstorm. He'd lost his possessions. He cried out to God, why is light given to him who suffers and life to the bitter of soul? In other words, God, why do you even keep me alive? Are you just wanting me to suffer even more? That's the regression. By the way, when somebody is going through this, be very careful about what you say. This isn't the time to give them answers to questions they're not asking you. There'll be a time maybe to share God's perspective on death, but unless they specifically ask you to, this isn't the time to be preaching to people. Yes, there are some answers to those who are grieving to remind them that death was not a part of God's original plan in this world, and it won't be a part of the next world. To remind them that Somehow God uses our grief to fix our hope on heaven even more. Sometimes God allows us to go through these experiences so we can minister to others later on. But all of those truths honestly sound very hollow to somebody who is going through the grieving process. There'll be a time their heart is receptive to those truths, but be careful about your timing in sharing them. And then finally, a fourth stage is adaptation. The time when a person gets to a new normal. Notice I didn't say they start feeling normal. People who are grieving have asked me, Pastor, how long will it take until I start to feel normal again? My answer is forever. You'll never feel normal again. 
That's like asking uh, an amputee, uh, when will you stop missing that limb you lost? Well, never, never. It's the same way when you lose a loved one. But there is a new level of normalcy that you will experience. The psalmist described it in Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11, because here we see a great case study in moving from grief to acceptance. And the story is a familiar one. John 11, beginning with verse one, John writes, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Jesus loved, in a special way, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Did you know Jesus has favorites, has people (laughs) he enjoyed being with more than other people, just like you do and I do? He loved this family. He hung out with them in Bethany as often as he was able to. And that's why it was only natural when Lazarus, the brother, became sick that the sisters would send word to him, verse 3, saying, Lord... Behold, he whom you love is sick. Your good friend Lazarus is sick. Lord, we knew you'd want to know about it since you like him so much. We knew you'd want to come and heal him. Now I point out a simple principle here. Being loved by Jesus doesn't exempt you from problems in life. Jesus loved Lazarus. It didn't keep Lazarus from getting sick. It didn't keep Lazarus from dying. It didn't keep his sisters from grieving. Being loved by Jesus doesn't exempt you from problems. Lord, the one you love is sick. Well, they thought Jesus would get there as quickly as possible. They sent word, a day passed, no response. Lazarus died. They buried him. The second day passed. The third day passed. The fourth day passed. And finally, Jesus came too late to do any good, or at least that's what the sisters thought. And when Martha saw Jesus, she gave him a piece of her mind she couldn't afford to lose. Look at what happened. He was confronted by Martha, who said in verse 21, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. Don't sugarcoat this. She was angry at Jesus. By the way, did you know God's big enough to handle your anger? Don't worry that you're going to hurt God in some way if you express your true feelings to him. He's big enough to handle your anger. Nothing wrong with telling God how you feel. But even in his anger, uh, in her anger, her faith in Christ wasn't eclipsed at all. In verse 22, she said, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha responded, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I know that resurrection is coming, but I need help from you now. And so they took Jesus and he stood before the sepulcher where Lazarus was buried. And the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, Jesus wept. If grieving, weeping over the loss of a loved one is sinful, if it's an act of a lack of faith, then Jesus is sinful and he can't be our savior. 
But grieving isn't sinful. It doesn't show a lack of faith. Grieving is a natural response to loss. Even Jesus, who knew in a few moments he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus wept. Why? There is a sadness, a grief from any kind of separation from a loved one, no matter how temporary it is. That word death in Greek, thanatos, means literally to separate. Death is not only the separation of our body from our spirit, it's the separation of our loved ones from us. It doesn't matter how much faith you have, that kind of separation is painful. And if you are going through grieving right now, your heart is broken, Jesus understands that. He has experienced that same emotion you're experiencing right now. Verse 24, even though Martha believed in the final resurrection, she needed help right now. And you know the rest of the story. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Now notice I didn't say he resurrected Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus did not experience the resurrection. He experienced being raised from the dead. What's the difference? Well, the difference is, yeah, he got out of that sepulcher, but he had to go back again. He died again. Isn't that a rotten day? Wouldn't you be hacked off if you were Lazarus? I mean, honestly, Lord, you raised me up. I'll see you in heaven. Sorry, Lazarus, that's not the plan. You're going to die again. I mean, if he had had his resurrected body that you and I are going to have, he wouldn't have needed the stone to be rolled away. He could have just passed through it like Jesus would in his resurrection body. No, there is a resurrection when we receive a brand new body that never gets sick again and never dies. This wasn't it. And that's why the reason I point this out is to remind you that if somebody is sick, we are to pray for them, the Bible says. But we have to understand that even if God miraculously heals them, it's only temporary. They are going to die. It's appointed unto every person once to die, or in Lazarus' case, twice to die, and then the judgment. The ultimate healing comes on the resurrection day. When that day of resurrection comes, those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will receive his eternal blessing and a brand new body. Well, at Pathway to Victory, we've been receiving a lot of requests for the CDs and DVDs for this new teaching series, Invincible. And in a moment, David will explain how to receive this unedited collection of messages that you can use in your small group Bible study or Sunday school class. In addition, you'll want to request my book by the same title, Invincible, because this is something you could read together again in a small group. Ask for a hardbound copy of Invincible when you call or go online to ptv.org or simply write us a letter. The book comes with my thanks when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. Your generous giving accomplishes far more than just receiving a book. Not long ago, I saw a note from Cindy, who listens in Ohio. Cindy wrote, Pastor Jeffress, I listened to Pathway to Victory on my way to a very stressful job every weekday morning. I cannot tell you how much your messages, filled with understandable and encouraging wisdom coming from the Word of God, 
help me get through the work day. I just wanted to say thank you. Well, that's precisely why we're partnering together in ministry. And when you give to Pathway to Victory, you're the one who's making it possible to inspire people like Cindy and countless others who've come to rely on these daily radio programs. So thank you so much for your continued faithful support. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. Today, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, you'll receive a hardbound copy of the best-selling book by Dr. Jeffress, Invincible, Conquering the Mountains that Separate You from the Blessed Life. And when you give, we'll also send you a brand new CD and DVD message called When Persecution Comes, the same persecution that our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are experiencing right now is coming to the shores of America. In fact, many believe it's already here. This timely message by Dr. Jeffress will help you prepare for the coming persecution of Christians. Call 866-999-2965 or make your request online at ptv.org. And when you give $75 or more, you'll also receive the complete collection of audio and video discs for this month's teaching series, Invincible, along with a personal and group study guide. One more time, our phone number 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You can also send your request by mail. Write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins inviting you to join us again next time when Dr. Jeffress concludes this message on moving from grief to acceptance. That's Wednesday here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.